If you were to analyze the direct expenses associated with your cow enterprise or enterprises, I would suspect one of the bigger numbers falls under the category of feed costs. Analysis after analysis shows feed costs is the number one determinant of profitability, particularly in the cow-calf business. Jim Garish, author of the book Kick the Hay Habit, is my guest today as we look at how our industry has evolved over the past 75 years to a heavy reliance on substitute feeding on our ranches during the winter months and one of the perceptions that has led to this. The biggest misperception across the industry is still that pounds of production equals profitability. Today we'll cover why modifying your production cycle may lessen your feed cost to analyzing the forage attributes of your ranch, matching that to your right enterprise mix, and squarely looking at your costs associated to your gross sales. Jim Garish on today's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you back here to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us on our program this week. And for those of you that are right smack dab in the middle of Cavan, I hope things are going for you. And man, oh man, we have really had some uh, very sporadic weather across many portions of the country. Now, I know uh, southern part of the country, you've been a little bit drier and maybe you've escaped some of the cold and wet weather. But uh, nevertheless, uh, for those of you, Cavan, I know uh, up in the northern part of the country it has been really some miserable winter for some folks and i got to knock on wood here just a little bit because just this little area where i'm at at right here we've kind of been saved from some of the deep snow and some of the real uh, severe weather that many other portions of our neighbors maybe anywhere from 50 to 200 miles away have been experiencing so i'm thankful for that and you know it's a double-edged sword when we look at the moisture the snow that we have because we've been in drought situations the last few years and snow is much needed in terms of the precipitation that we'll get and so in the long run we hope it'll work for you but I know if you're in the middle of calving season it's kind of a catch-22 with the kind of weather that we've been having there's no question about that now on our show here today I want to encourage you you know uh, if you're like me and you're out listening in the pickup and you're doing something more than likely you're going to have to step away and go do whatever you win out to do. And so if you do that, I would encourage you to go and find our podcast site at workingranchradio.com or you, any of the different podcast providers that are out there, things like Apple or Spotify or Google, all the different ones that are out there. And you can go back and listen to this show if you heard something that kind of piqued your interest a little bit. We're going to continue, uh, not very often do I do this, but we're going to continue talking a little bit about what we had talked about last week. And that was uh, visited with Vance Mitchell out of Lolita, Texas, and Cameron and Kellen Smith out of uh, Daily Livestock in northern Wyoming and their winter or year-round grazing operations. Jim Garish, my guest here today, as a lot of folks would know him, uh, he's if you've been to different meetings across the country, he's probably might have been there as a speaker. He's also a consultant and an author, wrote the book Kick the Hay Habit, which is a little bit what we're going to be talking about here today, not going to definitely hit on every issue, but enough at least to spurt to spur your interest a bit if you want to continue that's up to you to continue on down that and and looking at that but we'll be talking with him about uh, some of the the context in that book as we look at the reliance that we have in our industry on hay and uh, you know for some folks 
There's ways that they can justify that. There's no question. And we're not here uh, to to do to condemn anybody on anything of, of that nature other than uh, I know for other folks, they're looking at, you know, it's a big item when you look at your expense sheet as, as your hay cost. So if there were ways that that could be curbed a little bit, what are the steps or what are the things that we should be considering in that? And that's really uh, the line of questioning that we're going to be visiting with Jim Garrish today on that subject. So I encourage you to stay with us here on that. Again, our podcast site. If you miss it and you want to go back and listen to it, is workingranchradio.com and you can find all of our episodes. We've had some great shows already here in 2023. And like I've mentioned before, really a lot of the shows that I like to do, uh, the terminology I like to use is they have shelf life, meaning that even though they might be one, two years old, uh, there's topic, there are topics that I try to uh, hit on that I think will have some relevance, even if you want to go back and listen to it. And it's maybe two years later than when it aired. So I encourage you to go to our podcast site and look at all of the episodes that we have on there as well. Quick thank you to our sponsors of this segment of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Semental Association. You know, there have been some fundamental changes that the American Semental Association has brought to the table to help ranchers move their operations forward. Pedigree knowledge with actual performance records and now some very advanced genomics, uh, which is a topic we've talked about here on our show. It's providing more predictability to the producer so that you can make management decisions that increase profitability back to you, the rancher. Simgenetics, profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Just one more thing here real quick. I want to remind you that if you hear something on the show, whether it's this show or previous shows and you like what you heard or you don't like, please let us know. Give us a thumbs up or thumbs down, I guess, if you need to. But let us know. You can send me an email at justin.work ranch at gmail.com. Now make sure you stay with through our entire show as we do always. Meteorologist Don Date will be joining us towards the latter part of our show as we'll get an update on our long-term weather forecast. Well, right now though, let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne. He is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. He is feverishly working on the next issue that's going to be coming out here shortly. But let's check in with the captain now for this week's edition of Tim's Two Seconds. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. This is pretty impressive, Justin. The Society for Range Management gathered over 1,500 participants in Boise, Idaho for their 76th annual meeting here in February. And President uh, Dr. Barry Perryman said, I think the Boise meeting was a wonderful success. As we look back in the coming decade or so, I think people will remember the Boise 2023 meeting as one of those highlights of their careers. So um, they'd like to thank their presenting sponsors, the United States Forest Service, USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, And the conference featured nearly 70 sessions on subjects including the carbon market, invasive species, wildlife management, targeted grazing, and more. And many sessions saw capacity crowds with attendees joining both in person and 300 of them turned out virtually via live stream. I call that a pretty successful conference. Folks, Society for Range Management, you guys did a great job. And Justin, I know a lot of these topics are close to your heart, so we'll keep an eye on them in the future. Back to you in the booth. 
Yeah. You bet. Thanks, Captain. And as always, they always do a great job of really identifying and hitting some key topics that are important to those of us here in the ranching industry. In fact, I know one of the topics that they hit that had a lot of interest was they addressed a, the topic of carbon credits uh, among the many other issues that they had at their recent uh, annual meeting that was held in Boise, Idaho. Now, speaking of uh, Society for Range Management, first of all, their website is rangelands.org. But in January, they unveiled an effort called Good Grazing Makes Sense. Now, uh, it's it's out now. You can go to the website uh, at goodgrazing.org. But it's basically a collaborative effort between range scientists, ranchers, really aimed at providing some very practical, applicable, and economically feasible range management practices. And it is a membership-based effort here in this, but you can go there, find out more information for yourself on this. The website, again, is goodgrazing.org. I think there's a lot of things in there that will put you in contact with other folks that will help you in your efforts to be a good manager and a good steward of your range and your land, your grasses that are out there, and your resources that we have out there and so i encourage you to go check it out good grazing makes sense society for range management just launching that their website that you can find out more on that is goodgrazing.org we'll stay with us folks when we come back our guest this week jim garish author speaker and consultant he will be joining us when we return here on the working ranch radio show Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And joining me now here on the Working Ranch Radio Show is Jim Garish, consultant, author, and speaker. I've had uh, had him on the show before. And first of all, Jim, I do appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Real happy to do it, Justin. Well, I, a good way we, to reach people. You bet. As we were talking before we went on air here, you said you're trying to retire a little bit. So uh, the the idea of, of consultant, I know you've been doing that for a lot of years. And I know I've had you up at our place here and some other folks are going to recognize you across the country at different places and places you, you spoke at. So part of the reason, as, as you and I talked before, that to have you on this program last week on the Working Ranch Radio Show, we talked with a couple different sets of producers that are, are ranching and have been feeding uh, year-round grazing and, not, and moving away from hay. And they have for quite some time. But you wrote the book, Kick the Hay Habit. And so I felt it was important to visit with you a little bit about this. And I think when we get started at this, we are at a time frame where hay stocks are really low across the country. Hay prices are really high. We've been in a drought situation. There's just a lot of different factors in this. And I believe people are a little bit more receptive to this idea of, man, how do we move away from this, this element of our business that creates a huge economic drag on profitability. Yeah, you're absolutely right that this is a key time with the um, uh, costs of feeding cattle through the winter being at, I don't know if it's an all-time high, but it's uh, certainly very close to that. 
the one positive thing is also we have very good cattle prices right now. Mm-hmm. But even with these very good cattle prices, the high cost of feed, um, people's margins aren't going to improve very much, meaning the profit profitability picture, you know, even as we're looking, you know, at uh, calves in the two to three dollar pound range, the profitability isn't going to take a huge jump because of the input costs of just keep pace. Yeah. Yeah. Input costs. And, and that was something we talked about several weeks ago when we were kind of rehashing with a guest I had, Clint Berry, on. We were rehashing the cattle facts report uh, and input costs, interest rates, things like that just have not gone down. So the margin may not be there. We might be seeing these higher prices. I want to get into this and jump right in. First of all, from the perspective, if when folks are considering this the <clears throat> concept of moving away from hay and how do they get that, I think really... Uh, and I mentioned this last week to our guests, I think there's some real concern. I think they really have some intrepidation. I know myself just kind of weaning away from more or less, not relying so much on hay in those winter months. I think really for folks, there's really some some fear of how do we move that direction? Well, that's exactly right. Um, you know, we have a lot of middle-aged ranchers who do not remember the days when we didn't make so much hay. Um, you know, about 100 years ago, uh, year-round grazing was more of a normal thing than feeding hay for four or five months. But we've gone through the generations now where uh, most middle-aged ranchers, all they know is make hay, feed hay, make hay, feed hay. Unfortunately, over the course of their lifetime here, whether that's you know, 20, 30, 40 years, in ranching the cost of making hay has increased at a much faster rate uh, like five to eight times the rate at which cattle prices have increased and again as already said we're looking at very good cattle prices right now but there's still not enough to pay the bills as the cost of the equipment has gone up the cost of the fuel has gone up cost of labor has gone up repair and maintenance has gone up everything has gone up at a faster rate than the value of our cattle. Mm-hmm. When I look at this, I think one of the things that for producers that has to be really considered is really being honest with yourself of your costs. And you talked about there was a habit, there's been a, you know kind of a cycle of making hay, feeding hay, making hay, feeding hay. And really from that perspective, from an economic standpoint is really understanding what are the costs that we have when it comes to making hay and and maybe the opportunities of utilizing that hay versus other means of it being used for example like this year i mean you could you can make hay for maybe you know maybe a hundred bucks a ton but then you could be selling it for 200 bucks a ton but we're feeding it and we're not really getting a good picture of our cost to us as a rancher yeah it's unfortunate that you know i was just talking with a guy the other day and he has a degree in animal science just you know as his to lead him into ranching what he really needed was a degree in accounting or business management because we have a lot of people out there who are very good at managing their livestock but they have no idea of what it is costing them and you can't have a profitable ranching business if you don't know what your costs are and how to deal with them and costs are different whether you're 
calving in February or if you're calving in May, costs are different whether you're running yearlings rather than cows. And in many environments, uh, changing the calving season by four to six weeks would make a huge difference in the bottom line of the business, largely because it would greatly reduce the amount of hay that they have to feed. And analysis after analysis shows feed costs is the number one determinant of profitability, particularly in the cow-calf business, but in livestock businesses in general. Feed costs is what we have to address first if we want to have a chance at profitability. Mm -hmm. I want to go a little bit more into the economics of this. And, and what do you feel is the biggest misperception we as ranchers sometimes tell ourselves when it comes to making hay, feeding hay cycle that you have said we've been in for quite some time? Well, the biggest misperception across the industry is still that pounds of production equals profitability. And pounds of production absolutely does not equal profitability. Margin is what creates profitability. We have to increase the margin between the value of our product and our cost to produce it. And yes, we can do things to more effectively market. We can be on you know, a different uh, grid or niche program and earn more income for our pounds. But by far the biggest way to increase profitability is reducing costs. And the first cost that needs to be reduced is feed costs. And that's where you know the whole idea of kick the hay habit you know, came into being as the quickest solution to take a ranch that is losing money and turn it into a ranch that is making money is getting hay out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And changing calving season, you know, I, I've got an article I just wrote that'll be coming out in the next issue of Hay and Forage Grower, um, that the first step towards increasing profitability is stop calving in the winter. I, I had talked with Dallas Mount of uh, Ranching for Profit, you know, on this very topic just a couple weeks ago also. And one of the criteria he looks at is if you can't reliably graze 10 months of the year, eight out of 10 years, you probably shouldn't be in the cow business. Mm -hmm. He says he sees very few cow-calf operations feeding any more than 60 days of feed you know that are profitable that that that's kind of a, a threshold mm -hmm. you got to get that hay feeding to no more than 60 days mm -hmm. to have a shot at being profitable yeah jim before we go to break one more question here and i've said this before on our show and i think sometimes the independence and that we in the ranching industry enjoy from the aspect of, of being out in the country doing doing what we want to do i think sometimes that inter independence and uh sometimes gets in our way of really analyzing our business our ranching business because here's the wording i'm going to use everybody thinks their operation is different than somebody down the road and that's how they justify some of their expenses that they put into their operation. Well, I've done <laughs> consulting work, or at least spoken at conference, but I've done consulting work in 40 of the 50 states in South America, in Australia, in Mongolia. And you know what? For the most part, it's all the same. We have little subtle differences, but you don't go from one region to another 
and suddenly it's a completely different set of rules. You don't go from one ranch to the neighboring ranch and it's a completely different set of rules. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's all the same. And the big failure is people don't recognize that and they don't apply basic business principles to their operation. Mm -hmm. Jim Garish is my guest today, uh, consultant, author, speaker. He wrote the book, Kick the Hay Habit. We're going to talk a little bit about that more. We're going to take a break here. And already, Jim has touched on a few things that I want him to go a little bit more into detail on in terms of enterprise mix, some assessment of the ranch. We're going to talk more about that and some of the finite details when we get to that. We're not going to get to all the details about uh, what's in the book, but I think we can get to some things that might spur your interest a little bit to move forward if this is something you want to continue. My guest today, Jim Garish, we're going to be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Don't keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Mr. Jim Garish. I've had him on our show, oh, it's been a year or so ago, Jim. I think I had you on, and, and I always enjoy visiting with you. Uh, he's a consultant, author, and speaker, and uh, he wrote the book, Kick the Hay Habit, and that's a little bit of what we're basing this off of. If you joined us in last week's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, you know, we did visit with a couple ranching operations that have do year-round grazing, and so, Jim... Uh, on the book, Kick the Hay Habit, yeah, right, right from the start here. I mean, what's, what's in that book that's going to help me? Okay, Justin, I, I basically uh, talk about that book in thirds. About a third of it is planning for the year-round grazing. And that includes the things like, uh, you know, what is your stocking rate going to be in the winter versus the summer? Uh, what are your winter uh, grazing resources and availability? What's the best use of those? Uh, the second part of the book is what are all the different grazing options that you might have available uh, for use? You know, we, we have crop residues. We can have cover crops. We've got perennial pastures. We've got native rangeland. We have different options to work with. So in the that second third of the book, we cover uh, those options and some of those things we have to talk about regionally because mm -hmm. you know some things don't exist <laughs> in, yeah. in certain environments obviously and then the uh, la the remaining third of the book is about implementation that gets into the nuts and bolts of how do you assess your feed supply how do you budget it out what are the tools that we can use for in winter grazing in terms of uh electric fencing, stock water, supplementation, protein, because in some environments, you know, protein supplementation is going to be essential for grazing dormancies and grass. So that's basically how the um, book breaks out. One third is planning, one third is available resources, and one third is implementation. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that front third of that book, and that's a little bit of the planning, because I think this is something that uh, in that process, is that an aspect where you're I mean, you need to evaluate literally physically where your place sets, 
you know, what it grows, what it doesn't grow. And is that kind of what you're talking about with the elements of that planning part? Yeah, that's right. Um, and you, you really need to figure out on a month by month basis, what do you have available or what could you uh, establish and make available so that you have a uh, grazable resource in that month. And again, this is part of it that's going to differ regionally. You know, Mississippi and Montana obviously are two different places, two different yeah. sets of resources. Yeah. Um, but everywhere that you go, there is more than just one resource to work with. Mm-hmm. Then another important part of the planning is. Uh, enterprise selection, the number and class of animals you're going to have on the place. Uh, An example of that, part of the way we got to, uh, when we, back when we lived in Missouri, the way we got to a feed and no hay operation was we had a proper enterprise balance. About 60% of our year round grazing resource was dedicated to our cow herd and then 40% was our flexibility. And most of that flexibility occurs there in Missouri was from middle of April to the middle of August. So that's when we brought additional stock in either custom grazing or purchased livestock. And what in the normal, the normal, weird normal situation, <laughs> most people would have taken that spring surplus of growth turned it into hay and then fed it to the cows in the wintertime. We took the spring surplus of growth and turned it into a revenue stream by having a non-cow enterprise at that time. And that was the ratio that worked for us because we based the size of our cow herd, not on our summer grazing potential, but on our winter grazing potential. Mm-hmm. And that that is a very key part of structuring your ranch business to give you the opportunity to graze cows year round is you've got to have some enterprise additional enterprise or enterprises that you can move in and out of and liquidate those stock when the time comes to get them off the place so you have feed either growing or feed in reserve for your winter grazing for the cow herd. Mm-hmm. Jim, do you think there's some enterprises people have been doing now that maybe the particular geographical area they're in, it's been something that's been done for 40 years, but maybe the reality of it is it's not an enterprise that mixed, that fits geographically to their specific location? Uh, yeah, there's those situations that are around. Uh, I think as you get closer to the concentration of uh, feedlots on the plains, Custom grazing yearling cattle, you know, is much, much more common than it is like in the Northern Rockies here or in New England. Mm -hmm. But everybody, you know, across the whole country needs replacement heifers. And so in these areas where feedlot, you know, growing uh, grazing stockers for feedlots isn't quite as feasible, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in uh, raising replacement heifers. And I know a lot of beef outfits whose side enterprise is actually dairy replacement heifers. Mm-hmm. In a place like New England, there's a, still a lot of dairy cattle there. And particularly the grass-based dairies, they have figured out that they make their money by stocking their full capacity as milking cows. 
They don't want to raise their dairy heifers. They don't want to have dry cows on their place because a pound of grass going into one of their milking cows gives them a better return than a pound of grass going either into, you know, a replacement heifer or a dry cow. So they farm those enterprises out to other people. And very typically, that's a beef farmer who Mm -hmm. takes on uh, that enterprise. There's other outfits like here in the West. Some of them have a large public land permit, but not a large deeded land resource. Mm-hmm. And so they need to go somewhere else when their cows come off public range. They don't have the capacity to take all their cows back on their own place. So there's an opportunity to overwinter someone else's cows in these areas that may not be as suitable for running yearling cattle. Mm-hmm. Jim, uh, just a couple more questions here. One, and you talked about it in the first segment a little bit, and I and I want to go back to it a little bit, mainly to kind of reiterate that, because one of the things you talked about is really analyzing our production cycle, meaning when we calve, when we breed up, that matches the environment we're in. And it's going to be different. Just for example, last week, you know, I was talking with, with Vance Mitchell down in Lolita, Texas. It's different for them than it is somebody up on the northern plains. However, that in itself is one aspect that can really reduce the rely as much reliance on hay. Yeah, absolutely. There are places in this country that traditionally have been cow ranches that in today's feed cost and value of cattle atmosphere, they should not be year-round cow operations. They ought to be just seasonal yearlings. And you know, if you're an old cow guy, the idea of just having cattle on the place for five months, then have seven months where you don't have to do a damn thing, uh, <laughs> doesn't appeal to some guys, but there's others who say, well, I can Sounds get like that kind deal. of a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's definitely something I think in a lot of this, and I want to go back to really maybe the first question that I talked about, and and that is, I don't know that necessarily people are are opposed to the concept. I just think it's it's so much different. It's a change, and and it's it's hard to make change, Jim. It is, and one of the best things for people to do, you know, number one is podcasts like yours Mm -hmm. here about people who are doing that something different. But the even better thing is find someone not that far from you who's actually doing it and go visit them and see in real life, talk to a real person, ask them questions. How did you make this work? Why aren't you doing this? Um, Farmers and ranchers, you know, I, I, I was an academic. I did all of those things. Talked at a lot of cattlemen's meetings and all that. And, you know, people say, well, that makes sense sometimes. Or sometimes (laughs) they say, well, that won't work here. (laughs) But where people, where farmers and ranchers really learn things is going and seeing another real rancher who's doing it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you find there's someone 25 miles from you who's doing it. Sometimes you got to travel a couple hundred miles. But that's one of the best things to do is go visit somebody who's already doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, folks, We we part of the reason I had Jim in here, as I've said before, he wrote the book, Kick the Hay Habit. We've just touched briefly on it, but I hope that we've we've at least spurred some interest. And, and Jim, just some final comments from you before we head out. I just want to bring it home again. If you 
don't get away from feeding tons and tons of hay and calving in the winter, the likelihood of your ranch surviving to the next generation, it's getting slimmer every day. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, uh, again, thanks for joining us real quick here. We talked a little bit uh, in our interview here today about the book, Kick the Hay Habit. If somebody is interested in uh, getting that book, where would they go to do that? You can go to our website, americangrazinglands.com. We're easy to find on the web. Go to our bookstore. You can find Kick the Hay Habit, other books that you know I've written and uh, other people we know and respect have written. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jim, I appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Very happy to do it, Justin, and I'll look forward to the next conversation. You bet. All right. Thank you. And again, that was Jim Garish, consultant, author, and speaker, joining us here today on our program. Now, I encourage you to stay with us as we head to break here. Coming out of the break, I'm going to offer some final comments in regards to this topic that we have put uh, two episodes now into regarding ranching and the whole concept of feeding hay through those winter months. And as you know, uh, it is a topic that maybe for some folks very get uh, so very very defensive about. At the same time, other folks have a lot of interest in it. I'm going to offer some final comments when we return here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all gain smart mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which gain smart mineral formula is right for your heard visit gainsmart.com and we welcome you back here to the working ranch radio show i'm justin mills we appreciate you tuning in here to our program this week as you if you are a regular listener as i said before we went into break we have been covering a topic here for the last couple of weeks in regards to uh some interest that i had seen from listeners uh, wanting to know a little bit more about year-round grazing and essentially of course that would be uh, during those winter months as well as trying to move away from that dependence on hay and really having speakers the last couple of weeks telling us a little bit about uh, last week some operations and how they do it some of the some of the things that uh, the things that they would advise in regards to infrastructure development and um, some of the production cycles that they're doing in addition to this week as as we heard uh, we heard from Jim Garish offering some similar concepts as well maybe a little bit more details about some particular things and I guess as as we look at this topic because I know as, as folks listen to it sometimes we may be knocking on the door a little bit of a lot of tradition that some ranches have had and um, it could create some defensiveness no doubt I know there's as I said before there's also folks that are looking to ways that they can eliminate that cost that is such uh, such a big part of their input costs and in their ranching operations. And I guess when it really comes down to it, one of my main goals in this and even in the shows that we do is I really look at the aspect of sustainability with our ranches. I talked about this last week. And when I talk about sustainability, um, it, there's a lot of different aspects to that. One, our land, our livestock, our family, and our health as just our as our own health 
health as a ranch person working out there in our in our families. I think if we want this ranching industry to have some legs to last to the next, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation, we got to be thinking sustainability and how do we make this uh, profitable and moving on to the next generation. You know, we covered this topic on less reliance on hay, as I said before, because we had some listeners request it. And I think there's some very valid points that both Jim, our uh, Garish that we had on today, as well as our guest from last week brought up. Things like really analyzing your production cycle, meaning when are you calving, when are you putting these bulls out, and how does it match up uh, with with that utilization of what you have on the place as grass is greening up. Also, they talked about infrastructure development, which in reality, it doesn't matter what time of the year you're, you're calving or doing anything, we all know that uh, good water development makes a big difference on your ranching operations and fencing. And sometimes, uh, you know, we talked last week with Vance Mitchell, and he was, of course, more into uh, very intensive type grazing, more mob type grazing. That may not be everybody's bailiwick, and it may not be the terrain that offers that self to you. But at the same time, there could be some aspects with dividing some of these pastures up where we can reduce some overgrazing and keeping those plants from being nibbled down more than once within their uh, good productive growing cycle. So some things like that to definitely be considering in that when we look at infrastructure development. And then the one final thing here too is are we chasing gross product, meaning total dollars in sales, or are we chasing net return as ranchers? And that was something that Jim kind of pointed out just a little bit here today as well. We can, we, we see... You know, we all can say, well, this is how much money we, we brought in this year, but if it takes a lot of dollars to get to that profit and or get to that uh, total dollars, well, then the net return isn't there. And so I think that's something that we really have to be considering. Are we chasing gross product or are we chasing net return? Those are two completely different things. Now, I know there's exceptions out there, ranches that may be able to justify why they do what they do and how they do it. And in some situations, I, I know, I mean, I've got a brother that raises uh, registered Angus cattle. And one of the things that he's told me is, you know, he knows that he has to sell his products for more, which is why uh, he puts a little bit more into them and some input costs because he is marketing them and has a a marketing plan that allows him to uh, still have a, a net return that uh, that works for them. And so I think that's something to consider. I, by no means are, is is this show here today or what we talked about last week and this week out there to demean any ranching operation that decides that this isn't, uh, this isn't for you, some of the stuff we talked about. But again, I just revert back to at the bottom, at the very end of the day, it really, for everybody out there, no matter what you do, where you're at, it really needs to be about the net dollar at the end of the day. Now, one of the things I addressed in both of the interviews last week and in this week was just the fear of doing something different. And folks, here's the thing. That's not a sign of weakness. That's just reality. Anytime that we may be considering doing something different than than what we have done for maybe the past 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years, it's going to create some stress. It's going to create some uneasiness. That is fair. But I think one of the things in all of this is that if we can do our due diligence, as we heard from our guests last week, as we heard from Jim Garish this week, go visit other ranches that have done this. Visit with them about the questions or the red flags that you see in making any move. And it's not just about this. It could be about other aspects of your ranch. Do your due diligence. Research it. Run your numbers 
first before you make any of these moves. I can tell you too that the other side of this that also creates a lot of uh, people being in a rut is if you have any financing involved or a banker that you got to make some of these decisions with, they're going to have uneasiness as well. And I think sometimes that locks us a lot into certain doing the same thing year over year because it's just easier to turn the paperwork in and hit repeat year after year. But at the same time, if this is something considering you're considering to do, please do your due diligence and understand the the risks, the rewards that are available should you make these particular moves. One of the things I'd advise to is in all of this is that you do not have to make any of these changes overnight. In fact, you will not make them overnight plan these things out. For example, as we talked about water development, well, that's something no matter when or where or how you do things on a ranch, water development is always going to be beneficial. If you're looking at uh, maybe cutting up and dividing up your pastures, that can be something that can be done over the course of several years. If you're looking at moving your calving dates back again, that's something you can make plan changes for. This is not something that you just have to flip a switch and do this overnight. Make these changes, make these changes on a planned basis. And like I said before, please do your due diligence. And just one final comment as we head to break here, and that's this. One of the big issues in ranching, of course, is passing on to the next generation, if that's if that's an option or if that is a desire. And I know for a lot of folks, uh, that also brings up a whole other topic in the fact of how does that get done? And I think really part of the reason of how why there's such uh, concern or stress about how that gets done is because there are a lot of ranches operating with very slim to none margins of profitability. And when they look at passing that particular element on to the next generation, they wonder why. Why would we do that? Why should we do that? And I think if that is something that you have has caused some stress or some concern in your your ranching family operation, then I would ask for you to maybe take some time to step back and analyze your own ranch operation, what you do, why you do it, when you do it, how you do it, all of those kinds of things. And as I said before, do some due diligence in this because really, as I said at the top of this segment, my goal in all of this is I want to see our ranches passed on to the next generation in a successful way. And one of the ways that I think that can be done is if these ranches are set up in a situation to where they can be profitable. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we turn now and take a look at our long-term weather, and joining us, as he does each and every week, is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, uh, we're just going to start here today first talking about what's going on in the west, and we'll move a little bit east as we go there. But man, oh man, the western third, or if you look at the coast from the Pacific Rim down to California, just continue to be bombarded by a lot of moisture. Yeah, it's to the point for at least some parts of the far west, it's been too much of a good thing. Although uh, the weather in the west and water in the west is you never have it come in 
gently and smoothly, that's for sure. (laughs) And what we're seeing here is not unlike what we saw in early January, where we just had this onslaught of one storm after another, moving into the West Coast and parts of the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks are talking about California for good reason. I mean, the snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas is crazy. And a lot of that precipitation also is getting over the mountains into places like Arizona, Nevada, Mm -hmm. Utah. And not only have those states seen above average precipitation as well, uh, but it's been a lot colder than average. If you go back and look at temperatures this winter, starting in November up to now, boy, it has been unseasonably cold in places like Vegas, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. There's been not just one snow event around Tucson, but several this year. So all of the West is gathering and adding up the snowpack and these rains and these snows to really help out with the drought situation. But I think a lot of folks in the far West maybe say, okay, enough is enough. We can, we can change this pattern now. (laughs) But it doesn't look like it's necessarily going to be changing a whole lot. And as, as you have showed in your weather video podcasts that we're seeing, continue to see these lows moving across and really uh, the West continues to have that, but we're also seeing the Northern tier, the Northern corn belt also showing signs here in the next uh, seven to 10 days of seeing a lot of moisture as well. Yeah, some of the storminess is is going right along the U.S.-Canadian border in Montana, the Dakotas, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and parts of the Northwest Corn Belt. Now, they're going to see a significant amount and have already of snow in March and more coming. And uh, there will be parts of the Great Lakes in the northeastern United States getting uh, a lot of winter weather here over the next week or two. And some parts of the northeastern United States more winter over the next two weeks than they've seen all year. And there's no reason to think that March is going to let up, either with these Pacific storms coming on through, but also the fact that at least for a good part of the north, central and western parts of the country, the colder than average temperatures are likely going to persist a bit longer as well. I think April will bring some changes, but March certainly is looking colder and wetter. You bet. So real quick, and and I was looking at one of your uh, forecasts the other day as you were looking about uh, 10 to 14 days out. We've we've seen the the hot, dry weather be in the southern plains, Texas, and down into uh, as far east as Florida, and and in that that part, southeast quadrant of the U.S. Are they going to continue to see that hot, dry weather pattern in that part of the country, or are they going to get some remnants of some of this moisture they're going to get some of the remnants but what i think you're going to see those southern areas starting to respond with better chances of precipitation in april and may okay one reason for that is is that we have really seen a rather dramatic shift in the eastern and central pacific we can officially in it put bed la nina in fact mm-hmm. uh, recently in the last couple of days the folks who tell you whether or not you're actually in a La Nina or an El Nino, have said that we're now in the neutral phase. Uh, we're, we're seeing it really going away. And I think as we get into spring, some of the response to those warmer temperatures now in the subtropical Pacific, the erosion of La Nina does favor those southern plains to get a more active pattern. Mm-hmm. So while it may not be in the month of March, April and May, we could start to see those southern areas get into the act that is now favoring more of the central and northern western areas. Mm-hmm. So real quick, as you talked about, uh, we've officially moved into the neutral phase here and we're not in a La Nina, nor are we in an El Nino. Did Is that happening quicker than they expected? 
Well, it looks like it. You know, the one thing that you always have to be careful in the spring when it comes to predicting these is it's called the spring predictive barrier. Mm-hmm. A lot of times as that sun is on the equator now, beating down a lot more, causing a lot of heating, there's a natural warming of those waters just because of that. Okay. So sometimes you can overestimate the warming as we get into the latter part of spring and summer. But certainly what we're seeing, the rate of change is the most dramatic we've seen in terms of the warming instead of cooling. And so, so yes, to answer your question, the changes are happening rather rapidly, mm-hmm. but they're also corresponding with which some of the model predictions were suggesting as well. Okay. One more question here, and I know you're fighting a cold here a little bit, so I appreciate you bearing with me. One more question. As you talked about the amount of moisture that we have seen on the one-third uh quadrant of the U.S., which is where a lot of the uh, feeds, a lot of the the rivers, uh, streams in various parts of the country, and then up and through Canada that's seen a lot of moisture as well. We talked about this before, but what are we looking or is there any potential or are you hearing anything out there in regards to potential flood issues for this spring? Certainly, there's there's going to be some big concerns in California. Uh, as we get into deeper in the spring, you see the snow levels go up uh, in terms of the, the altitude of the rain gets higher. So if we get rain on those snows, I think is, you know, early, you know, before the month of March is over, California is going to have some flooding concerns in the interior west where we've got these really big snowpacks on the North Platte system, the Green River system. Uh, some of the bigger rivers in the inner mountain west are going to see runoffs rivaling 2011 when there was a lot of flooding mm-hmm. in some of those areas. So I think the the central Rockies, central Great Basin and parts of California, certainly there. I think it's not if we get flooding, we will. And what you always worry about as you transition into spring is you you get a warm rain pattern where it's it's mild and rainy on that melting snowpack. So it, that is something that we really have to pay very close attention to it over the next eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just real quick, finally, anything as far as we talked, uh, the, the drainage is there kind of in the Intermountain West. What about the Missouri River? Anything there with some of the waters coming out of Canada and down into the U.S.? Well, um, the snowpacks up there are not as big. They're okay. certainly robust, but they're not as big as, as the Central Rockies the Sierra Nevada and the Great Basin states. However, if it continues to be stormy up into those northern areas, uh, kind of like what we're seeing right now, uh, that is going to add to that snowpack there. But I do think the Missouri system is a little less risky as compared to those central drainages. Okay. All right, Don. Well, we covered a lot here today. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you uh, kind of getting through this. I know that you've been fighting a uh, cold and having to hack through things. So I appreciate you <laughs> helping us out here today. Thank you. I'm sorry all the editing you have to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you have a good week. We'll talk to you later. Okay. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. And from there, you can also find a link to his daily video podcast where he kicks that out every Monday through Friday morning. Well, stay with us. Coming up after the break, we'll put a wrap on this week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do 
you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more, Dayweather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Dayweather weather journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as I introduced the Captain Tim O'Byrne earlier in the show as he is publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. I want to remind you that uh, do you have your subscription to Working Ranch Magazine? If not, here's my question. Why not? It's it's one of the premier magazines out there that really is targeted towards us as ranchers. The articles that are out there are relevant to the time of the year that you get your uh, your issue. And uh, like I had talked about earlier in regards to my show, a lot of the topics that we try to cover here are topics that I think you can listen to at any given time and have a lot of relevance. And you'll also find articles in Working Ranch Magazine much the same. And they always do try to target specific specifically though uh, times of the year and how that fits your ranching operations so if you don't have your subscription started it's pretty simple go to workingranchmag.com and you can get signed up here today now speaking of internet or web-based things have you checked us out on social media because we're out there on instagram and facebook as well there's posts every week multiple posts of course the uh, captain he's always got to check in with everybody every friday as well so be sure to check us out on instagram and facebook as well. Well, here are a couple of the topics that we're working on for upcoming shows. And this first idea stemmed really from last summer after I interviewed the Florida Cattlemen's Association and we got a little bit more information about Florida. But I thought it would be good from time to time that we would take the opportunity to explore the cattle industry in different states. So we're going to be focusing on the great state of Iowa. So I've been encouraged you to join us as we're working on that interview. Also, in light of the BSE that we hear about in Brazil. Cattle identification is a topic that's kind of rolling out around there. So we're going to be talking with the Canadian Cattle Identification Agency. They've already been through this process. The United States, of course, is not in mandatory cattle identification, but they are in Canada. So we're going to talk with them about that. So be sure to tune in on future shows here of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. Be sure to join us right here at this same time, same place next week or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.